Welcome, good moms. If you ever doubt that you're a good mom, you are in the right place. I am Jody Schilling, mom of four and a former educator. And on this podcast, we talk about all the hard topics. We talk about the pressures and the demands that are placed on moms, and more importantly, how to get past all of that so you can do you. Let's define good mom on your terms. Welcome to episode 53. I'm talking about emotional causes for behaviors today. What I want to share with you is what I've learned over the course of being a mom with kids who have severe behavior struggles. I also want to share with you what I've learned most recently about childhood trauma and how that impacts all of us as moms in particular if we have our own trauma experiences and they can even be subtle. And then I want to share how I saw behaviors manifest in the classroom and at all age levels developmentally from preschool, early childhood, elementary school, and high school and young adults. And so it's I'm going to try to keep it to the core principles and keep it pretty short, but I just I really thought that behavior from kids and in families is probably the paramount problem. That is the primary problem. That is the crisis and the chaos and the struggle. And that is where I think there's so much confusion. There's so much misinformation. So I want to sort it out for you today. Okay, so here we go. First of all, one of the key concepts that I really take as a core belief is that behavior communicates a need and it's often from the lower brain. It's the protective brain that's coming into play when we see extreme behaviors. We can also tie behaviors to communicating a want for something. So when we say a want or a need, sometimes they can be seem like the same thing, but A need is often to get out of pain. A need is often coming from a protective place. And there's so there's resistance and it's a trauma response. And so the need is to get out, to get away, to avoid whatever. So you'll see this show up in kids who don't want to change whatever, you know, whatever the activity is. And we as adults want the child to change like whether it's their toddlers and we want them to get their shoes on or if they're teenagers and we want them to stop using substances, there's this push from adults to have the child do something different and they're trying to meet a need that they have. It's a protective measure on their part to keep meeting their needs and their brain is their brain is what's driving this. And then there's also sometimes behavior is communicating a longing for something. And that's when you see these seeking behaviors where they're attempting to experience something that, that's been missing in their life. And often this is connection. Often there's been, for a number of reasons, at different stages developmentally, there will be times where it's very critical for bonding to happen. We have, we've all you know read about babies who don't have that that bonding experience. And and I will also share that as a mom, when I had young kids and I was attempting to be a good mom and I was 
doing all the mom things of getting up in the middle of the night, there were definite times where I did not feel like I was connecting with my baby or my toddler or whatever one of the kids. I mean, connection was not happening at all. I was barely awake much less able to show up in a way that was really nurturing. And so I think that that's, we have a lot of guilt as moms about it, but I think it's just the reality of sometimes we have sleep deprivation and sometimes we really are not connecting. And that is just something to be aware of and something to acknowledge and be curious about. It isn't something that's going to help us to feel a lot of guilt and shame around, but It's just useful to look back at both our own childhood and our own parents and our own moms and their childhood. And this is where my new understanding of trauma has really informed the way that I think about how behaviors manifest. And then the other thing that I will say about connection is that it's meeting the most basic, the most primary and most critical need that the brain is always, like that's the brain's number one job is to provide safety, to keep us alive. And so if there's ever a threat that there's not emotional safety present, this comes from the brain's interpretation that connection is missing. And connect, so connection is such a primary need. It, it creates emotional safety in a way that nothing else can. So as humans, from the very beginning of when babies are born, their immediate need is for connection to another human. That provides a sense of safety. And if that is missing at different stages, at critical times, and sometimes this is with complete unawareness of the mom, then this is where the brain will kick into this highly protective mode. And that's where we will often see these behaviors come out because they're coming from that primal need. The other thing is that messaging is constant to the brain. So if you think about the brain is such a complex organ, but it is constantly processing information. There's input coming in and the brain is taking that in at split second timing and It's either seeking confirmation that everything's okay, that safety is not an issue, and it's also, it's also always trying to confirm what it thinks is right. So if one of the first experiences is that when we cry, we get a bottle or a diaper change or something like that, we get these messages and then those are always going to be confirmed by the brain. They're always going to be, the brain wants to be like, oh, every time we cry, we get this. This is the pattern that's predictable. And the brain really likes that predictability and to be able to have a system that's always running and always confirmed, then that takes less energy for the brain, right? And that means that it has more energy to stay alive, to eat and exercise and do all the other things. And so that is one of the other reasons that there's this hierarchy of needs that we've learned about where those first level needs are safety and food and water that are very predictable. And the body learns with the brain that those kind of rhythms and patterns are what will sustain life. And so it's always 
looking for that. And when anything deviates from that, then the brain goes into kind of this alert alarm system where it takes over to get back to that homeostasis of this is the pattern that keeps us alive. We need to stay in that pattern. So our actions as adults, as we interact and we act with kids in regard to their behaviors, we can think about what is happening for that child's brain when we are doing this. The brain is confirming or denying what it knows, right? So when we impose these kind of elaborate systems, when we have, we start putting these, I'll just call them like points and levels and rewards and consequence systems where they're these complicated kind of external things that we think we're, they're done in good, with good intent, right? They're, they're, they go back historically to Pavlo's dogs and other things that we've learned about behavior and modifying behavior and how we respond to positive things and negative things kind of naturally. And so somewhere along the line, we, we got this idea and I personally have strong feelings against this because I, I feel like we as humans are at a different level than say animals and dogs for training purposes and changing behavior. I think that that our that we're really selling ourselves short when we put those kinds of things on ourselves as a way to change behavior. And I'll explain more about that later. But what I'll say here is that when we think about how we want to help someone with better behaviors, a lot of times what we can really tap into is the natural rhythms and the natural things that change behavior just on their own. There are natural consequences when, you know, when a child is very angry and out of control, other children will step back. They will naturally move away out of their own protection. And the consequence then that the child who's acting out learns on the natural consequence that when they act that way, that actually creates less safety for them because they're not part of the group. And then their brain, if we if we could let these things naturally happen sometimes, their brain can learn that, take in that new information, and then recognize when they're not out of control, then they do have kids that have more empathy and stay closer to them. And so some of these things, we intervene as adults more than I think we need to. Of course, there are exceptions, and there are times when safety, of course, is a primary concern. And so adults need to intervene for safety purposes, but to go to that next level of trying to change behavior by imposing these elaborate systems and these points, you know, like you will earn that, you know, we think that it will be motivating if we give them points or stickers. And I just think that that's, that's not, I don't think it's respectful. I think it's manipulative in a lot of ways. And I know that it works. I know that on the short term, That's why people keep doing these things because they do work on a short-term level, but there's a cost to this. There's a cost to the relationship because it's not authentic and, and kids can sense that. And we can sense that if we stop and think about it. I don't know if you have ever imposed a consequence or a punishment for your, for your child, or if you've also like tried these bribing systems, I'm guilty of all of them. I have done them in both in the classroom. I've done them at home, but I've always, 
I've never felt good about it. And I've often stopped doing them (laughs) before I barely started because I just, I felt that discomfort around it. So the other thing I'll say here, I don't want to go too long on this one. We'll probably do part two. But the other thing is that the energy that it takes is for adults as well as children to be processing emotion and having our brain take over. There's the lower part of the brain that is is really concerned with our safety. And then the higher brain is the one that can do all of the planning and organizing and the higher order thinking. And the energy that is consumed in both the lower brain and the higher brain is exhausting for us, honestly. And so we don't always take the time to recognize that both kids and adults who are going through this processing of emotion and expressing these emotions and trying to get their needs met, that that does deplete energy over time. And if it's if those needs aren't being met and we aren't effective in understanding what's happening and then letting the brain meet its needs, but then also to get back to a state of regulation so that we're not constantly in this state of trying to maintain safety. It's so much more beneficial to maintain brain health, brain and emotional health, when we can understand it and we can help someone get back to a state that's more even and stable and it's not elevated all the time because the neurotransmitters are releasing cortisol and there's other things, even adrenaline gets released and then we have a crash from that. And that is, takes a lot. That is a lot on the body to be going through that on a regular basis. So this is another reason that there's, they're finding connections to health conditions because these chemicals in our body are not balanced in a way that is optimal for our health, right? So then you can see that there's these links to other physiological illnesses. So that's one of the really critical reasons that I want to help people understand how behavior and emotion work and how we can really go to a place where we're being very simplified in our response to behavior and it is really rooted in compassion and understanding the brain and and I'm not saying that we don't ever impose consequences or we don't ever pr- apply rewards, but I think that we need to just be very intentional about that and, and recognize what is the messaging that this consequence or this reward has and is it really beneficial or is there another way that we don't really need the consequence or the reward to connect with the child and meet those primal needs for connection and emotional safety And maybe that, you know, maybe we really have like made this way more complicated than we need to. So one of the ways that we can do this, whether it's in the home or whether it's in the classroom, is we can just simply ask the child, what is going on for you right now? Tell me, you know, how can I help? And also even just creating a space where the child can safely express whatever's going on. Sometimes 
what we need is space, honestly, like physical space for our body to move and to express what it needs to express. Kids will throw things, kick, scream. Adults will too, for that matter. But, you know, being able to set up the environment or having a routine where there is the ability to go and physically release some of that in our body. And, you know, we have so many social norms around, like, say, screaming, but yet there's therapy that actually involves screaming. To be able to scream is to be able to have volume and to express through our voice the emotion that we feel is, I mean, it's a way that we were designed as humans. And yet we don't, it's alarming to people to hear screaming. And so we have been conditioned to think that that's a really bad thing, but we can find ways of rethinking about that. And so, because if you think about it, we scream at a music concert and that's totally acceptable, right? But it's not acceptable when a child needs to scream to express an emotion. And so that's where educating kids and ourselves about what is happening with behaviors and where their, where their root cause is, where that emotional need that needs to be met is coming from is going to be so much more helpful where we can be more compassionate and we can be more curious and we can just be more unconditional about understanding and supporting really healthy emotional regulation and mental health. So I think the best chance for positive outcomes is going to start with our understanding and our compassion So that's what I'm going to end with today. I went a little longer than expected, but we'll continue to talk more about how behaviors manifest and how we can understand them better. And thank you for joining me today. If you like this podcast, please rate and review so we can spread the word to other moms who are going through the same thing. You can also find me over on Instagram. You'll find links to my website there, information about my coaching program, and free resources. Thank you again for joining me. Have a great week, and please rate and review.